Hour number three kicking off here in the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. We'll open the phone lines up if you want to hop on. I know we haven't really taken any phone calls the first two days, but hey, it's it's first two days of a show. We're trying to fill each other out. I, I, then I got Jason here hopping on the mic. He's yelling at us, and we got to try to get Sam some mic time. It's We're working each other out. We're in a groove. It's the preseason, if you will. Like You have to come in here and fill each other out. <laughs> but we want to take some phone calls. The phone lines are open if you want to hop on. 865-546-8200. You want to hear something interesting? No, never. Yeah, who, who doesn't want to hear something interesting, Bob? Well, it's because you're Titans. That's why I figured you might want to hear this. They CBS Sports just dropped what they felt are their, uh, their top five. Well, you might have seen this already. The top five candidates for that Titans job. The it's one. Like- it's like someone asking, you want to know something funny? Yeah, yeah. I love laughing. Tell me something funny. Uh, tell me something <laughs> interesting, Bob. Who are my top five? Well, we've touched on some of them. Number five was Mike McDonald, who's the coordinator for the, the D.C. for the Ravens. Yep. Number four is the one that I'm like, say what? Where did this come from? Lincoln Riley. Gross. Lincoln oh, Riley. I mean, what I'll is he? I'll never watch a Tennessee Titans What has he done at USC so far to prove that he's worthy of an NFL job? He I coached mean, up Caleb Williams. He coached up Caleb Williams into a number one pick. But, you know. They were 8-5, man. They were 8-5 because of the defense. They looked better with a backup quarterback in the Pac-12 game. He coached that boy up, too. I mean, I, I give Lincoln Riley. Is he a bad name now? Like, is he like a bad word because, like, you had a bad reaction, Bob. Sam said he wouldn't watch another Titans game if he was the coach. Like, when I hear Lincoln Riley, it's, it doesn't have the same shine, I will acknowledge, that it had, a, you know, a couple years ago. But as far as, like, offense and quarterback play, I still think of him as elite. My mind goes to Cliff Kingsbury immediately. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I would agree. What about Sean McVay? Can we, okay. can we go, to, <laughs> go to Sean McVay instead? Um Bobby Slowick was Mike three. McDaniel, I mean, can we go there? Uh, we talked about Slowick. Uh, he was number three. Number two is Ben Johnson. Talked about him. Number one, and I think, John, you brought him up. He's kind of coming to the uh, mind of a few people, is Eric Bieniemy. They had him at the, as the top option. Oof, man. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to talk bad about Eric Bieniemy, but – it seems like if you've gone through three years of interview cycles and haven't gotten a job, something's not working. And, like, he's had reports of being brash and hard to get along with, and isn't that the problem just what happened with Rabel and, and Rand is that they, like, butted heads? So, like... I don't know if I want to be the trial run for that one. Yeah, Benjamin might be a stud. You know, he, he might be. I don't know if I want to be the one that tries it out. I, I kind of felt that same way about, you know, Gerard Mayo, that name getting floated. Like, he might be a stud, and I would give him more of a chance because of the Voltas and, and the Belichick tree. And, you know, he he would go there and, I think, be easy to work with. Like, he doesn't have the reports of being hard to get along with, but the enemy does. And, man, like, I wish them both success, but I don't know if I want to be the one that that do it. But it sounds to that to that list – all five of those guys were first-year head coaches, at least in the NFL. I know Lincoln Riley, of course, a head yeah. coach. But the one thing I would say, somebody the first try <laughs> out of that list, uh, I'd, Ben Johnson intrigues me the most, and I say it for this reason that playing with uh, or coaching under Dan Campbell, where they are uh, sometimes to a fault, but they're risk takers, mm-hmm. you know, and 
that seems to be more of a byline in the NFL these days. I mean, you see it with Mike McDaniel. You see it. Uh, I think Steichen has a little bit of that in him. Um, and and I think that that's more of a common thread that we see in the NFL. doesn't mean it necessarily correlates to lots of winning right off the bat, but I think that that's become more and more the name of the game. Um, I just And I say all of that because I still think, this goes back to what we talked about a little earlier with the Titans, for the fan base, for everyone else, not just winning, they need to amp up, like you used the term a couple of days ago about Tennessee football, but I'd say it for the Titans too, the vibe about it, yeah. you know, entertaining product, um, really showing that they're, they're, you know, they're out there to win and they're going to, they're going to break the mold. They're not going to just do boilerplate old school NFL football. I go back and forth on that. I, I think ultimately with any of my teams, as long as you win, you can be boring. Like, I, I loved the grinded-out wins that Vrabel had. It's the, the problem with that type of football is when you lose. Losing that way, you know, that's kind of what yeah. I said about the Mississippi State game. If Tennessee wins 58-55 to 55 in Mississippi State, whatever. You survived, you advanced, you got through it. But if you lose that way, it's a completely different vibe. Like, there's nothing worse than not being able to score when you need to. Because I, I can placate myself, and I can, I can convince myself that it's like, hey – we didn't need to score. Like kind of like with Iowa and Nico. Like I was going to say you sound like an Iowa football fan right now. <laughs> if man. you win, it's okay, but when you lose, it's not fun. Yeah. Like Iowa football fans, I, I mean, they they make fun of themselves for the punting and everything, but they do win 10 games a year. They haven't fired for rents for a reason. Yeah. They did show up at the bowl game. Now maybe there's like, "Hey, it's cold now, but we want to go to Orlando and check Florida." But they were pretty loud for some first downs. Like they, they were trying to will it, but Am I wrong in just saying winning is still the most important thing? No, you're not. Um, you're not. But man, uh, tell me you you you. I okay. If that if you guys won a couple more games this year, you'd be all in on the way the Titans are playing. You'd be fine. Would I be fine? Yes, I would be fine. Would I be like thinking we were championship contenders? No. So like, if you're saying you need to be exciting and play a brand that can win championship football, then I might agree. So, like, yeah, like, I do think you I do think you make it hard on yourself when you, when you, I guess, make plays more valuable, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So, like, when the margin for error is so thin and your brand of football is like, hey, the fourth quarter is going to be up in the air. Yeah. And you can have one fumble or one bad play that loses you the game, or you could go out and score a bunch of points, have a bunch of possessions, and have you know more chance to grow that margin. Of course, I'll take the exciting brand that grows the margin. But ultimately, I dealt with Rabel winning close games, and I loved it when it was happening. Well, yeah, and that's a good point. I draw a corollary to um, – we've talked about this a little bit earlier in the week. I'm a – I'm not a Miami Dolphins fan, but I enjoy watching their brand of football. However, has that correlated to big winning? I mean, they're winning games, but do they win when it matters? And the jury is out on that still at this point. Yeah, like, if you're a Patriots fan, you might have enjoyed watching the Super Bowl more when you when you lost to the Eagles and you had 600 yards of offense. And maybe you're like, hey, it was boring watching us beat the Rams 13-3 to or whatever it was, but of course you'd rather have the championship. Right. With the Dolphins, like, they are playing exciting football. They are going out and scoring, but they also can't break through and win when it matters, like you said. So, like, I don't know. If you're the Titans and you're probably going to be bad either way for the next year or so, maybe you do try to be exciting. 
Because that's kind of like what we did with Josh Heupel, right? I mean, like, I know I always kind of bring it back to Tennessee and Knoxville, but, like, it's there's so many comparisons there. Like, you were so bad with Jeremy Pruitt playing the Mike Vrabel type of football yeah. that, like, my friends were easy to easy, easily to get on board just because it's like, eh, we might still go 6-6 six and six or 7-5, and five, but it would be nice to score 40 points a game. It will be nice to score some points. And then, of course, you, you've exceeded those expectations, but that's also why – you know, conversely, what made this year so rough being a Vol fan was like you were back to playing boring football almost and grinding out games and not scoring. Right. Those in those Pruitt years, stating the obvious, but those years were agonizing. You know, they weren't fun. Even yeah. when you won, they weren't really fun. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> you had a seven or eight. What was it? A six-game winning streak, I guess, in the year. And you're like, yeah, it was nice. I guess you beat Indiana. You you beat Mississippi State. Good job, Tyler Burb. <laughs> it was like, man, that was not fun at all. That was not great. I had more fun just losing to Ole Miss than I did probably winning those six games with, with Josh Heupel. Remember Pruitt did an onside kick in the kickoff second half of that bowl game? I don't know if I remember that. I remember we, we had to get the one at the end of the game to, to come back and win, I think. But, yeah, yeah Pruitt, Pruitt the, the onside kick or the little squib kick or whatever he did against Auburn was uh, was pretty fun, too. He, he, he was willing to go for it at least sometimes. I'll give him that. Boring, awful, dreadful brand of football. Why are we talking Jeremy Pruitt? Oh, my God. It's kind of tied into Mike Vrabel football, I guess. It really is. No, it really is. Like I said, I always draw comparisons between the two. but I think that was the most frustrating part was he was trying to compete for a championship by playing the most boring brand of offense. And it just was like, I don't know, it felt like you're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole at some point. Typically, I would agree with you, but the current national champion just did that. Yeah. Like, I don't know if J.J. McCarthy converted a third down yeah. passing in their championship game. They, you know, beat Iowa. They beat, they beat uh, Penn State earlier in the season by not running or not passing the ball after, like, the first quarter. So, like, maybe you can do it if you play a Big Ten schedule and, and, and build just an elite defense that I think gets credit for being the second best statistically since 2000. So, like, if you can do it on that side of the ball – it does work. The problem was it's really hard to do that. And in the SEC, I don't know if Michigan would have survived and gone undefeated. I mean, they, they probably still are really good. I'm not saying that. But being tested more often, you, you heighten the chance that you drop one of those playing that you know close brand of football. Oh, God, what are we doing? <laughs> you want to talk about Butch next? You, you got any takes on the 2017 <laughs> season? Because that was dreadful, too. I did see some Tennessee fans tweeting out the the Butch Jones kind of intro to the Tennessee, and it was like, well, Tennessee Titans do need a coach. Oh, God. <laughs> Just give me the coming home Jeff Fisher montage. Yeah, bring, yeah, that one was good, bring, too. Bring Jeff Fisher back. So, of those five names, I, I'd probably rather, I think I'd rather have Lincoln Riley of anybody. That, really? that might be a bad take. That, that might be a bad take. I acknowledge you might that. Get, you might get some Kingsbury effect like Arizona did for a season or two, but it catches up with you, man. It, I'm telling you. Okay, look. I understand his shine has worn off. He's a better coach than Cliff Kingsbury. Cliff Kingsbury went 5-7 and seven with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Okay? He went 5-7 oh, and seven not- with Patrick Mahomes. At least Lincoln Riley has done something. I know he hasn't won big, but. I just don't want to fire Mike Vrabel and then hire a guy who hasn't even touched an NFL field yet. Now, again, th- that's fun. That's fun if you want to think that way. I get that, but it sounds fun, though. I don't know. If I told you it was Kirby Smart, would you feel the same way? <laughs> I'd want Kirby Smart, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, he hasn't touched an NFL field. Would you feel the same yeah. way if it was Kirby Smart? Because yeah. that would be a double win. Like, hey, do us a favor. Get Kirby Smart out of Georgia. 
And also, like, I think he could probably coach in the NFL. I think he's got some hardball in him. Agree or disagree? No? Bob, you don't no, look like no, you're no, convinced. I, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm good with – I think Kirby Smart could be a, a good NFL coach. I believe that. Um, I, I did, hate it, but I, I kind of like Kirby. I think he's got the right temperament I and the right too. personality for it. I yeah. just don't see him ever leaving college. That's all. He's one of those that I don't think would have that ambition. I feel like that rumor was out there a couple years ago, like yeah. maybe when Jacksonville was open that he might be interested in the Jacksonville job. Or, hell, maybe the Falcons just call him. Hey, he lives like an hour down the road. Just call him and bring him to the Falcons. But I do think he is the type of coach that you know can can handle the locker room, but also kind of can relate to players. So I think Kirby would be a a pretty good NFL coach. I just don't like you said. I don't think he. I don't know if he has that ambition because right. now he could maybe. I don't know, do you think he thinks he can catch Saban though? Because if your ambition is to be the greatest, like obviously you're not going to go to the NFL and be the greatest, but like you're not going to catch Saban. You're not going to be even the yeah. greatest of the last ten years, like in in college football. If you get tired of the SEC and recruiting, I, I do wonder if Lincoln Riley or or Kirby or Harbaugh, like if if you'll have these college coaches just say like, yeah, it's too much work, just go make a bunch of money in the NFL and, and coach just football. Well, we've we've talked about it with Harbaugh, not not so much too much work. It's just too much noise that he doesn't. You know, I mean, I think he works as hard as anybody. Sure, but sure. he, I agree. I think that there's that that's that's. I think the motivator with, with Harbaugh, if it happens, I, I think it would be that. Yeah, I guess maybe too much work isn't the right thing, but like it's, I guess being a boss and just having too much, your other people having to do too much work and report to you with all these petty things like, hey, John wants some more money. He says that uh, this school is offering this in the NIL. Do we think we could do it? Or, hey, like this guy's looking at the transfer portal. Or, hey, also you got to go recruit these high school kids too. It's just recruiting nonstop. And maybe – yeah, maybe it's not like, hey, I'm scared to work. It's just it's year round of dealing with petty stuff. It is, and and I'll draw a corollary. It'll jump over to college basketball, but it's I think it's probably similar in this regard. And, and when I've had conversations with uh, with Barnes, one of the things he said to me was more and more, you know, what he didn't play his hand at all. But what he said was, I feel more and more like a junior college coach at this point, just because of the transfer portal and the fact that every year it's like you could only you could have a one and done guy who's not one and done for the NBA, one and done for your program, and then yeah. going somewhere else. And it's just attributable. It's not an apples to apples comparison to college football, but it's the same type of premise where these head coaches are kind of like, man, do I really want to deal with this anymore? I mean, it's just too much. Yeah, and you saw you haven't really seen it in football. Yet, yeah, but you saw it in basketball with, I mean, his contemporaries walking away. Exactly. I mean, even Jay Wright, who you don't think of as an old man, and and he, and, yeah, and he was just like, ah, I'm done. I'm gonna go and, do TV. And, I don't want to deal with this. And he just got interviewed recently. I don't know if you saw this. And he mm-hmm. said, he goes, I have no interest in coming back. I am, I am 100 percent done. Mm-hmm. And that tells you a lot. Yeah, between him, Roy Williams, Coach K, I'm surprised Izzo's still doing it as long as he has. Well, he's turned into just a curmudgeon that yeah. complains about everything all the time Very when true. he's doing it. Just like, oh, I hate this, and these players are soft, and he's, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, he's either, he's either a curmudgeon or he's crying. Yeah. You know, it's one right. or the other. But, uh, but yeah, I, again, I think there are some comparisons to draw to, to college football coaches. It's not exactly the same, but I could see them being like, man, I, I, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. And then you add the college football money on top of it, though. Like, maybe that's why you haven't seen the coaches quit. Because, like, it's one thing to walk away from your basketball job, make it three, four, five, six million dollars, whatever. But, like, getting your – and Coach K and Roy Williams, of course, at the end of their careers anyways, like, age-wise. But, like, 
in, in, in college football, you can make $10 million a year. Like, Jim Harbaugh could make more money at Michigan than almost any NFL job. Like, he, he could probably demand now 12 or $13 million a year after getting a national championship. I don't know how many NFL coaches are making more than that. They don't release, like, you know, the salaries typically, right. but, like, the reported numbers, there's, like, three or four. Like, Belichick makes close to $20 million, and there's a couple other guys that are in the $16, $17 million range, but the NFL just maybe doesn't pay more, so maybe some coaches are willing to stick it out for that. I don't know. It was reported that Brandon Staley was making like three million dollars to coach the Chargers. Like that's crazy. Like that's that's, that's mid major money. That's yeah, mid major yeah. head coaching money. Get what you pay for too. I, mean, <laughs> I guess that is yeah. true. We'll continue some uh, NFL conversation. We'll check in with Jordan Dejani of CBS Sports. Talk to him about Mike Vrabel. Maybe a little playoff preview. Stick with us. It is the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. All right, let's head to Nashville. Let's talk to our friend Jordan DeJani, CBS Sports. Big news out in Nashville. Mike Vrabel out with the Tennessee Titans. First of all, good morning, Jordan. Hope you're well. Second of all, what did you make of Mike Vrabel being fired? Not traded, just fired. What's going on, friends? Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, I got to be honest with you. I was very surprised, Um, and I think a lot of different – Things went into this decision, um, but if I had to speculate, you know, I don't think that any fans, I don't think that any journalists are taking the explanation for firing Mike Rabel at face value. Um, if I had to speculate on what exactly happened, it seems like Mike Rabel went into a meeting with the team owner, Amy Adams-Strunk. Um, they had a conversation about what, what changes in duties were going to come with the 2024 season. They both disagreed on what should happen, and they decided to part ways. Um, I think there's a lot to break down with this conversation when it comes to the power structure within the organization, um, whether it was the right decision to fire um, a a head coach who is going to be somewhat of a hot commodity out there on the open market, um, but certainly an interesting day in Music City on Tuesday. Am Am I overreacting? Am I being too emotional as a fan just by saying that yesterday and Monday was just embarrassing? For the Titans no. organization and for the fan base, it just seemed really embarrassing. No, I would I would agree with that. Um, it, at the very least, you have to admit it was weird. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into that, right? Parting ways with head coach Mike Vrabel, but also the explanations from the team owner. Um, it seems like journalists and fans are kind of turning on her just a little bit. And then you also throw in that really weird press conference with general Ma- general manager Rand Carthon and. I'm not here to say that I like or dislike Rand Carthon, but he just seemed like someone who was not in the know of things that were going on with the Mike Vrabel situation, right? He he admitted that he wasn't even in the room when the Titans organization made the decision to fire their head coach. Um, It it, it was interesting putting him out there on the stand because he couldn't really give the reporters answers uh, that they wanted. So, yeah, I would admit that that was embarrassing with itself. And then there comes the entire discussion about could the Titans have traded Mike Grable? And that's certainly something you could spend an entire segment on because there are obstacles that come with that possibility. Um, but it, it's, it's embarrassing because you have other fan bases in the AFC South celebrating this move. And you have a fan base that's probably a little bit divided on whether they should have let Mike Grable go or not. Is it embarrassing enough to make the Titans a, 
a team that candidates maybe shy away from taking the job with? I wouldn't say that. I, I would be more willing to shy away from accepting the Carolina Panthers job as opposed to the Tennessee Titans job. Well, sure, Jake Taper's the worst. I, I, don't, I hope Amy hasn't gotten that far. She hasn't thrown drinks at anybody yet, although I did used to see her out at tailgates, Bob. She used to come by tailgates for games and, and talk with the fans, so maybe she wanted to throw some drinks at some point. But, yeah, she's not Jake Tepper, but, like, is she second worst right now? Would you rather work for the Titans or, like, the Atlanta Falcons and Arthur Blank? If you could pick right. a job right there in the South, which one you take it, Jordan? The, the Falcons or the Titans? Oh, I would take the Atlanta Falcons because oh, they have better building blocks than the Tennessee Titans, in my opinion. Oh, if you insert if you insert an actual offensive mind into that scheme, then I would imagine that he'd find success, especially considering the improvements that the Atlanta Falcons defense made. They reside in a terrible division. Uh, meanwhile, the AFC South, for the most part, is on the up and up. Uh, it's an interesting conversation to have where the Titans' job opening ranks. Um, one of my colleagues, Will Brinson, ranked all the head coach openings, and he has the Titans at, at number five out of six. Oh, God. He says there's a pretty big chasm between four and five as well. So I, I don't know if I agree with that necessarily, but I do look at the Titans' job and say, hey, they don't have that many building blocks. Jordan, they might have a franchise quarterback. You basically just told me you'd rather coach Desmond Ritter than Will Levis, and, and that's not good. It's all about the quarterback, and you said you'd rather be with the Falcons. I understand Kyle Pitts is good. I understand B. John Robinson, Drake London. I get it, but it comes down to quarterback, and you just told me you'd take Desmond Ritter or whatever they do this offseason over, over my beautiful baby boy with the golden rocket arm, Will Levis. No, I think one of the first things I'd do when getting into Atlanta would be parting ways with Desmond Ritter. And we'd have to enter that entire quarterback carousel, which, yes, is a negative point towards the Falcons' job. But, again, I think they have more building blocks on both sides of the ball. And, again, competing in that division um, is more attractive. Hey, Jordan, this is uh, Bob Baskerville. Um, it's good to meet you, and thank you for coming on the show today. Um, I'll be – I'm not a Titans fan, so I'm a little less emotional than John is about all this. But um, there was uh, something I saw on CBSSports.com. Is it was ranking the top five potential landing spots, uh, or not landing spots, but top five uh, options for the the head coaching job at Tennessee? Because one of the things we talked about a little bit earlier was you would think if Amy Adams Strunk was moving in this direction that they would maybe have their their hit list in order we you would think we i don't know. i don't i don't give her credit I, I, for yeah that. i was gonna say i, I, I don't i've I, I don't lost all confidence in amy yeah so i don't believe that but my question to you is um who do you feel i mean again if you're ranking some we saw some interesting names including lincoln riley uh but you know some of the usual suspects ben johnson eric Bieniemy. Who do, you, who do you see as somebody that could be a good fit for this type? You know, you're not the owner of the Titans, obviously, but if you were, you're obviously knowledgeable here. Who would you see as someone that would be a great fit to kind of right the ship, so to speak, with this team? Well, the guy that wrote that list for CBSSports.com, one of my friends, Jeff Kerr, he's an Eagles fan, so he is probably wearing his A.J. Brown jersey laughing while penning that piece. <laughs> what are you doing, Jordan? Stop twisting the knife. I, you see me here on, on Periscope, on X, I'm struggling. I'm reading Don't Kill Myself books, and you're talking about A.J. Brown. We're, we're focused on one disaster. Forget A.J. Brown, which, by the way, A.J. Brown said, hey, Kevin Byard, welcome to a team full of winners, and then they immediately went like one and five. So 
be careful praising the Eagles writer from CBS Sports, whatever your friend's name was. <laughs> you know, John, I was curious if you're going to have the same level of energy now that you had to start radio early in the morning, and it's good to see that you're still amped up and ready to roll. Answer Bob's <laughs> question. Who are the tit- who, who should the <laughs> Titans hire? Uh, yeah, so I think what's really interesting about this discussion, and again, I'm going to keep going back to it because it's something that the national media won't discuss, and that's the power structure within the Titans organization. You just parted ways with the head coach who acted like a general manager for the most part. So are you going to be chasing someone who is an experienced head coach who could kind of fill that Mike Rabel role, or are you going to be handing power over to general manager Rain Carthon and have him really step into that uh, duty as a full-time guy because he certainly wasn't that in his first year as general manager. If I had to create my power rankings, I mean, I'll shoot for the moon. I'd like to have Jim Harbaugh in Tennessee. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Ben Johnson is someone who's going to be talked about for every coaching job, and that itself, that in itself kind of makes me want to steer clear of him. He's the stereotypical favorite to win every single job, but you can't deny the kind of success he had with the Detroit Lions offense. That's why people think he's going to be uh, paid a lot of money to take over. I think Mike McDonald with the Baltimore Ravens is kind of a sleeper in this cycle. He's a defensive-minded guy, and I think that Tennessee is going to opt towards an offensive-minded guy. But Mike McDonald, I think, is another guy to keep an eye on. Um, if, we're keeping in, if we're keeping on the same uh, storylines of offensive guys, I think Bobby Slowick is a guy that you're going to be talking about, too, with the Houston Texans. I don't know how good he is as a quote-unquote play caller, but we do know that he's someone who can develop talent. He's someone who found success with a rookie quarterback, helped that guy gain confidence week after week, and he did a lot in terms of um, making up for problems and injuries on the offensive line. I think Bobby Sloan did a tremendous job with the Houston Texans. So we'll see what Tennessee does, but I would bet my money they're going to opt towards an offensive-minded guy. It's going to be Dan Quinn. It's going to be Dan (laughs) Quinn. I already know it. I know it's coming. Dan Quinn, welcome to Nashville. Redemption, though, maybe. Who knows? I don't know. Oh, God. And and if I could say one more thing about the Mike Rabel traded scenario, I know that there was obstacles that came with that. I get that. But one of the reasons that the owner and general manager said they didn't want to trade Rabel is that it would put them behind the eight ball for their own coaching search. And I think that's going to be a really funny comment to go back to if Tennessee does not land one of the more highly coveted guys yeah. in this coaching cycle. I thought the same thing. You, they put unwanted, they put unneeded pressure on themselves by by saying, "Hey, we want to do, we want to be out first. We want to be on an even playing field." Blah blah blah. Because now, yeah, it just ramps the pressure up. I also fi- found that comment to be pretty funny, seeing how the last time we had to hire a coach is because Amy fired a coach after the divisional round. After Mike Munchak went and won a playoff game, he still got fired. And they're like, "Hey, we're gonna, we're, we're gonna, we're still gonna make that move." Sam, you said you had a question for Jordan. Yeah, uh, Jordan. You know, after multiple years of the Titans being, you know, probably the most injured team in the league, and you know, having probably some bad contracts that kind of held up cap space, this next year kind of felt like that year for this Titans team to reset and for you know Vrabel and that staff to kind of reset and get going. Do you think that Rand Carthon's success I think in his first year of developing some guys in terms of through the draft and also hitting on some guys that they signed in free agency do you think that might have swayed Amy in terms of kind of believing more in Rand Carthon's vision maybe a little bit more than Mike Vrabel's I think that's a good question but I'm gonna say no I don't think that 
Rand Carthon did some tremendous job uh, behind closed doors, and Tennessee felt very comfortable moving on from who was the captain of the ship for the past five, six seasons. I, I don't think that's something that played into that decision. I, I truly look at this whole uh, thing as a owner versus coach scenario. And truly what I think might have happened, and I'm totally speculating here, is I think that Mike Rabel, the general manager, was the one who was on the hot seat. And I wonder if they had some conversations about roster control and roster management, things that were going to be different in 2024 that Mike Rabel certainly did not want to hear. And that's when they decided to part ways together. Mike Malarkey, I meant, not Mike Munchak. I got my mics mixed no, up. Yeah. You knew what I meant. I they they fired Malarkey after a playoff <laughs> run. Yeah, too, too many damn mics. So who, who's named Mike in the coaching cycle? Maybe he'll get hired. Jordan, switching gears, your best game of wildcard weekend is what? What game are you most intrigued by? I think you have to be most intrigued by Matthew Stafford making his return to Motor City with the Detroit Lions. I mean, he has more wins, passing yards, passing touchdowns at Ford Field than all other Lions quarterbacks combined since the stadium opened back in 2002. And with this matchup, I mean, you've got two explosive offenses facing off, but as for the defenses, you cannot say the exact same thing, right? We know the Lions' struggles on defense. They've been incredibly inconsistent. You look at the Rams' defense. They've allowed seven passing touchdowns on throws 20-plus air yards down the field in the last five games. That obviously ranks the most in the NFL. So I'm expecting points in this matchup. I really think it comes down to which defense plays better. And right now, it's hard not to be intrigued by that whole revenge game narrative. I kind of like Matthew Stafford and the Rams to go into Detroit, at least cover the number, maybe come up with an upset win. Um, I have a lot of faith in that veteran quarterback compared to Jared Goff, who's been wildly inconsistent over the later portions of the regular season. Another game that uh, I, I'd love to get your take on for the playoffs is uh, I'm, I, we've, we were talking about a little earlier, fascinated by Miami, just, you know, the whole Mike McDaniel effect, the way that they're, you know, such a innovative team and they win, but they're not necessarily winning the meaningful games. We've seen that in the past two weeks with the, uh, them getting blown out against Baltimore and then losing a game that mattered so much to them from a, you know, seeding perspective when they lost to Buffalo for the AFC East. Now they got to go to Kansas City. It's going to be freezing, bad weather. Kansas City's not exactly uh, setting the world on fire right now offensively. They've got their own problems. But um, how do you see that game kind of playing out? I mean, this one, I, I'm, I'm really puzzled by it, honestly. Uh, yeah, even with the weather and everything else, I, I, I want to believe Miami might have a chance, but they're also so banged up. But would love your take on that. Yeah, I actually just wrote an article for CBSSports.com saying why the weather will decide the Dolphins and Chiefs matchup. I really do think it's as simple as that. Um, the Dolphins have lost the last 10 coldest matchups that they've played in. Tua Tungavailoa is 0-5 and his five coldest starts. And it's possible that this Saturday night in Kansas City will be the coldest game that either franchise has ever played in their history. So that's a really, really big deal in my opinion. It's, it's already hard enough to play in Arrowhead Stadium, and now you throw in that factor as well. That's going to be a different kind of home field advantage. But there's another reason I really like Kansas City, and that's because Miami is dealing with an incredible amount of injuries on the defensive side of the ball. They lost Jalen Phillips for the year. They lost Bradley Chubb for the year. They just lost Andrew Van Ginkle, who had been having a breakout season off the edge. They lost defensive lineman Cam Good. It doesn't look like star cornerback Xavier Howard is going to play either. They lost Jerome Baker at inside linebacker who plays 
alongside Titans legend David Long Jr. I don't like the Dolphins' injuries on that side of the ball. That's why I think Kansas City, even though they have not been the best team as of late, I do have them winning this game, moving on to the divisional round. Tua in the cold does worry me, but there's a part of me that thinks them being in the cold might make them run the ball more. And I thought they were running the ball really well against Buffalo and got away from it. I, I kind of think if Miami runs the ball 30 times, they might have a better chance of winning the game versus doing the whole Tua throw the ball down the field thing. Yeah, I would agree with that. The thing is that Raheem Mostert is dealing with a couple different injuries. I imagine that he does play this week, but how healthy he will be, that remains to be determined. Devon Achan is probably one of my favorite players in the NFL, and he's always so explosive. But the problem with him is that he really deals with bumps and bruises every time that guy gets hit. You have to wonder how durable he is. So Miami does have the kind of talent at running back that it takes to shoulder the offensive load in those kind of conditions. But the fact that they're dealing with injury issues as well is something that you need to take note of. Hey, jumping off playoffs for one second, I do have another question, and this is in the coaching line. And that is, we were talking about this just yesterday, but we saw headlines that uh, that John Gruden is going to be uh, rumored to be joining the Saints as an actual assistant versus a consultant that he had been serving as. Um, is this the beginning of the John Gruden uh, rehabilitation plan? And, you know, again, I, I would say Dennis Allen's hold on that Saints job's tenuous at best to begin with. Um, we'd be interested in your thoughts on that. Yeah, maybe if you're Dennis Allen, you don't want John Gruden part of your staff since he's going <laughs> to orchestrate a campaign to take back a head coaching job. No, and I don't think that's going to happen. But uh, I do believe that the Saints are seriously considering adding Gruden to their staff. Now, Gruden's not going to come in and serve as the offensive coordinator. I think that's been made clear by NOLA.com, but he is going to come in as an offensive assistant. And he's someone who served as a consultant, as you mentioned, through the 2023 season. And a big reason why is because uh, his familiarity with the new quarterback, Derek Carr, who had very much of an up-and-down season. I think he ended on somewhat of a strong note, but overall it wasn't some career campaign. Um, Keeping Gruden in the fold is something that's going to help that project in itself if the Saints want to keep with Derek Carr. Um, but maybe it is part of this whole rehabilitation project because what I can tell you is that I think Gruden still wants to be in the NFL. He wants to be on an NFL sideline, and he's been kind of wined and dined by the Saints organization. He spent time with them. He went to a team meeting when the Saints came down to Tampa Bay to play the Buccaneers back in Week 17. So Gruden wants to be in the NFL, and he's familiar with the Saints franchise, working with them in 2023 – or excuse me, 2022 – so it seems like something that uh, may end up happening this offseason. I know you're a busy man right now, Jordan. Appreciate you making time for us. Give Jordan Ajani a follow on X. Read his work at CBSSports.com. On the way out, is it going to be Baltimore versus San Francisco, or does someone crash the party? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think at the very least, the number one seeds are making it to the conference championship games. It's very possible that we do see – that Super Bowl being a Christmas night rematch that we saw with the Baltimore Ravens being so dominant. I don't know, man. I, I really want to root for the Cleveland Browns. I really want to root for Joe Flacco for a couple different reasons. I mean, Flacco's been one of the better quarterbacks since he took over as the starter. Their defense historically has been great. But you also have to love that this team has overcome major injuries at virtually every position to still be a formidable team. Um, so I find myself rooting for the Cleveland Browns. That matchup against the Houston Texans this weekend is going to be a fun one to watch. Really appreciate you guys having me on the show this morning. Yeah, brother. Have a good one. Appreciate Thank you, it. man.
Jordan Zanny, CBS Sports. That's a really good point. Think about the fact that because it happened so early in the season, you tend to forget that the Browns lost arguably their best player with Nick Chubb in what week two. I'm not going to say their best player because Miles Garrett, well, Miles is, a, Garrett. Is, a, is an absolute alien. But yes, they're their best offensive player yeah. for sure, and and the you know maybe the second best player they have. And he went down, and you kind of thought, okay, well they're done. And then yeah, no, the defense has carried them. And I just when I hear the Browns and I think about Joe Flacco and and, and their setup because I do think they win in Houston on, on Saturday. They're two and a half point favorites. I think they're going to kind of shut that offense down and pressure Stroud and kind of have a welcome to the NFL moment, but. I just don't know if how you're if you're Cleveland how you bring Deshaun Watson back. Like I don't. Yeah. I, I understand the money, like that he's going to be there, but like the team got so much better once he went out. Like the team just seems more likable. The vibes seem better. Uh, Joe Flacco's not a sexual abuser like Deshaun Watson. Like you you remove that bad karma from your team, and like Flacco came in and outplayed your two hundred and thirty million dollar man immediately. Off the off the streets. <laughs> now maybe Joe Flacco spent all offseason just getting pumped up with HGH because he wasn't getting drug tested. So he's like, "Hey, I'm going to come back healthier and better than ever." But he's still the football in the backyard to his kids. He's not. <laughs> yeah, but maybe he was. Yeah, he maybe. said he was still working out. Maybe he was pumped up on HGH and in the gym. I don't know, but he looks healthy and he looks better than Deshaun Watson. Looked so fresh, man. I, yeah. I mean, it's incredible. I, the fact that what he hadn't really played meaningful games for couple seasons really yeah you could say since i mean since he got benched in baltimore really because yeah. i mean it wasn't like he was playing meaningful games with the jets or the broncos, the broncos or anything i mean i don't yeah. remember when he really played with the broncos but i don't remember if they were meaningful games or not but he looked done he looked completely washed and then yeah the the time off and i think the hgh really got him back on track <laughs> and now he's you know maybe going to make another playoff run and keep in mind joe flacco uh, as good as any playoff quarterback we've ever seen honestly like with the runs he's had i mean he he's nails in the playoffs He's nails in the playoffs. Are they the feel-good story? Are they the feel-good team? Do we want to see the Browns win? Because Jim Haslam, uh, Jimmy Haslam, did give Deshaun Watson $230 million amid the sexual assault allegations. That shouldn't be a good karma team. I think the Lions are still the the, the Lions, yeah, okay. Yeah. But what about Stafford? I, I've kind of root for Stafford. Yeah, no, it's think, a tough storyline to root for. I think Stafford trumps the Lions in this situation because he's the, he's the guy that – is coming back home, but at the same time, it's not like he wanted to leave necessarily. It's not like he got forced to leave. Basically, kind of, he kind of wanted out. I don't know. The NFL playoffs do have some intriguing teams, but I do think it's just going to be one versus one. I think Ravens, 49ers, when it's all said and done. Pre- appreciate Jordan for joining us. Sam sent us to break. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. Anything we've missed so far today? I feel like there, you know, isn't anything crazy going on. I know we're still kind of on commit watch when it comes to the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. I know we're still kind of waiting on that. Uh, Diego Pounds gone. We're waiting on Lance Hurd. And the last updates I saw were that you know the the Volquest guys and and Hype will kind of feel good about their chances there. So we'll see whenever we actually get an announcement there. But outside of that, I don't feel like there's anything we really missed. No, we, uh, we've covered a fair amount. I mean, there was a lot of Vrabel today, but that was a big story, obviously, and has, you know, it does have some in state impact. Um, and we got the game tonight. I'm glad it's at uh, 7 p.m. 7 p.m. Eastern. We'll be able to get in bed. Yes. 
That would suck. I didn't even think about that. What if they gave us a 9 o'clock? Those 9 o'clock SEC tips are going to hurt, I think. Mm-hmm. There's only a couple. I've looked ahead. And, and you know, it was a couple seasons ago. They had a bunch of them, and it was horrible. Even wasn't doing this gig. I mean, it was just horrible to have them on that late. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about this game. Like I said, I was a little – I'm a little concerned, but I feel better about it after what we heard from Will Warren a little earlier um, because – um, we, uh, we basically, we, we talked about Mississippi state size, but it's not, it's not big men to the, to the ilk of what, uh, the Vols and Jonas Adu have faced earlier in the season. So again, you know, even coach Barnes said that on Monday, that that's what they've been building Jonas up for is, you know, the moment where he's, he's taken on those big names and and being able to have his way with some of the other names. So we'll see how he does tonight. When it comes to actual development, I I do think that Barnes's best player and best case for that at Tennessee was Kyle Alexander. Yeah. When it comes to like, you know, I I do think Kyle Alexander got a lot better while at school. And I, I do think that came from Barnes's boot camp and Barnes's tutelage and Barnes's coaching. Like, I know Grant Williams and Admiral were good, but I, I think both those guys are just kind of special with their work ethic. You know, Admiral coming from a, a Navy family and Grant just kind of being a really talented guy that probably was under-recruited just because of him being a little undersized and being so smart that, like, the Ivy League schools were the ones after him. I think those two are kind of special at that. But, like, Alexander, I think, needed the four years at college. I think he needed the coaching from Barnes. I think we're kind of seeing that with Jonas as well in terms of, him getting that same type of Kyle Alexander treatment, the same type of development, and now has taken that leap. And I think he, at this point, is a better offensive player than Alexander ever was. I'd say the the best development story uh, that, in a meaningful way, has been Kyle Alexander. Kevin Punter was a big story, yeah. too. I mean, he like literally changed the complexion of how he played offense, but that was not a very good team. That wasn't a good team. That was also – I mean – that. I have a hard time saying you developed in one year. Now, I do think Punter gave Barnes credit for, like, hey, kind of fixed my shot, and that opened things up for Punter. Right. Like, they, they they did have a correction there, and then they kind of gave him the green light. So, yeah, Punter took a huge leap, so that, that's a good point. He's kind of a forgotten player Yeah, yeah. in, in Tennessee lore just but, because of the team not being good, like you said. But I agree with you. Alexander became, like, a legitimate rim protector, and, um, you know, I, I've seen kind of the same development with Jonas, too. I I, I think that's where that's where Barnes shines. You know, there's – say what you want. There's all sorts of debates about his ability to coach deep into a tournament and all these other things. But, man, player development has never been in question. I mean – all the way, you know, even Eve Ponds, and you know, I, I think that I, I'm I'm going to be excited to see where Tobey is by his senior year. Tobey special. Uh, see, I don't I don't know because Tobey and Ponds both I think benefited from their international play as well. Like I, yeah. I do think that helps whenever you have some international guys like that, and you know, of course, Tobey just playing with the U.S. national team, but he spent his summer, you know, with the with the U18 team or the U19 team, I guess, team, I guess I should say, and came back and has improved. And, you know, Pons went and was playing in France and playing with, you know, a lot of NBA guys actually was hanging out with James Harden that summer, I remember, and came back and was better offensively. But the big guys to me is the position that Barnes has had the most success with. And, like, that's been exciting to see with Jonas. And, you know, throw in the the development conversation. I think we've seen strides from from Meshack as well, and he's another player I want to see kind of continue his rise because, for me, the natural comparison for him – to me, I mean, it's an easy one to make, but if you're just looking at, at past players, 
he's kind of on that Josh Richardson trajectory. And, you know, basically late February, early March of his junior year, that's when Josh Richardson became a, a better scorer and just a better overall player. And I do feel like Meshack is still kind of trending in that direction. I agree. Um, I was just thinking about uh, I just this weekend started following uh, Jemai's sister, Mika, okay. who's weighing in. The reason why I start following all sorts of commentary on the game and the team, and she's very, very aligned with that team, uh, obviously because her brother's playing. She's a good follow, actually. Um, she's got some uh, some good things to say. Um I actually sat by their family. I went out to the Arizona game. I have some buddies that live out in Arizona, and I went to that game last winter, and we got tickets with, like, the family section, and Arizona threw us up in the last row of the stadium, and we were sitting next to Meshack's family because he's, you know, from California. Like, he's pretty local, and he had, like, nine or ten of his family members. They were all cheering him on. They were super loud. They were really nice people. I have noticed his family is online. Like, yeah. if I tweet about Meshack, they, they usually, like, they'll – They'll like it or something, just like I don't know if they have like name yeah. searching or whatever. <laughs> right. But like they, you say something nice about Jamal, they'll find it. So yeah. I, don't say anything bad if unless you want them to find that either. But I got nothing bad to say about Mitch. He, um, he, he is the heart. I don't want to call him the heart and soul of the team, but there's a lot of what he does. Feels that, like the glue guy almost. Yeah, he, 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 he's the he's the dirty guy. Yeah, the, or the dirty work guy, I guess I should say. Yeah, it's a you can just get the feel from them. That's a family of achievers too. I mean, it's a, that's a he's he's from good stock. There's mm-hmm. no question about it. Um. Yeah, and then I'm trying to think of anything else we uh, haven't covered today. Nah, it's just it's just uh, welcome to Wednesdays. By the way, welcome yeah. to Wednesdays of talk radio. I've always talked about that Wednesday. You kind of get there, and it's like okay, you're too far away from the 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 weekend to really still talk about those stories. You're too far away from the weekend coming up. You're kind of stuck in no man's land. And the good news is, and, and here at least we got Tennessee basketball. Because imagine what this Wednesday would have been without Tennessee basketball. It just would have been. All Mike Vrabel. You can go home and watch a episode of The Sopranos, John. 25-year anniversary. It released today. Is that right? Yeah. How about that? I saw where apparently Warner uh, – is that what's called? Warner? Is that right? Warner. I know it's Warner Brothers, but like, what, who's the, what's the – who owns – Warner Media, is that it? Warner, Warner Media. I guess it is yeah. Warner. They're apparently posting every episode in like a 60- or 90-second clip on TikTok. Huh. Which seems like a terrible way yeah, to like you do miss the things. best parts of the show. I feel like they're just way. completely ruining the show. I guess maybe they're thinking they'll get some younger people into the show that way. Yeah, oh, you're talking about yeah. That's my old. That's well, it's evolved, but that's my old company. It's Warner Brothers Discovery, right? Right. Well, yeah. I was like Warner didn't sound right. I was yeah. like, I've always called it Warner Brothers, but then I called it Warner. I was like that doesn't, that doesn't yeah. feel right. Yeah, but I I don't I agree with you. The strategy is weird. I don't. Uh, I, I guess if you watch and. If you were on the fence about starting a show and you watched a couple episodes and it's like, oh, okay, I kind of get the the makeup of this and I see the humor of this and all that, maybe you'd go back and watch it. I don't know. That seems like just the most modern America approach to take like 60 minutes and try and put it into two minutes for uh, our yeah. brains to. Uh, it's <laughs> so we def- don't get. <laughs> it's definitely America in 2024, at least this generation. I mean, it does yeah. seem like it's hard to keep people's attention spans, yes. obviously, for an extended amount of time. So what are we going to talk about tomorrow? We're going to talk about a big win, I believe. I believe that's what we will be coming in and talking about. I do think that we'll probably, if I was betting today, you get an update on Hurt. You get an update on what, you know, is maybe one of the best transfer portal players of the year. Maybe when you're looking at the the importance of an offensive lineman, maybe the most most important non-quarterback 
that the portal has seen. I mean, I guess you could say Jordan Addison got the ball rolling in terms of, you know, going from Pittsburgh to USC, but, you know, as a one-year wide receiver rental. The, for Tennessee, a team that's trying to make the playoffs, this is almost as big as it gets outside of quarterback, of course. So, like, I think you'll have some updates on that, and that's the good thing, Bob. We don't know what we're going to talk about tomorrow because it's all it hasn't happened yet. That's true. It the, hasn't happened yet. Yeah, one thing I, I you and I talked about this, but I I, I found it interesting. I saw, uh, I was able to see anybody could see it if you dig deep enough. The coach by coach breakout of the final AP top twenty five poll in football. Uh huh. It was interesting to see where coaches put Tennessee, and it was pretty consistent all the way through. They were anywhere between 16 and 18 by most coaches. A couple had them as high as 14. Kurt Zignetti from James Madison, who's now the new Indiana coach, had him at 14. Google him. All he does is win. He knows ball. Yeah, that's what he says. <laughs> he yeah. knows ball. He's got yeah. Tennessee at 14. He knows ball. Yeah, exactly. And um, But Ryan Day of The Ohio State University had Tennessee ranked it was either 21st or 22nd. Just another reason not to like Ryan Day. I don't he's got like bigger Ryan fish Day. to fry over there. At, yeah, you know, over there in Columbus. Where do you rank Michigan? Um, he had Michigan number two. Oh yeah, mm. Georgia, huh? He's a big Georgia yeah. fan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't like Ryan Day. I don't really care where he ranked us. It is funny that he would have Tennessee lower, especially like, is that just like a commentary on on Iowa? Because I mean, like I thought the Big Ten people always talked about. No, I was tough. They're a tricky yeah. team. Like they're they're going to play you hard. And then Tennessee just like embarrassed Iowa. You would think that would get some credit from Big Ten guys. I don't know. I don't know. But it's uh, between between Ryan Day not being able to win the biggest game of his uh, season each year. That's one thing. The fact that, that he teed off on Lou Holtz, which was unnecessary, is another. And now this, I'm just not a fan. <laughs> I still need an explanation as to what the hell he was doing with Lou Holtz. Yeah. So passionate. And then Lou Holtz gets to dunk on him later because he ends up being right. And I also want Ryan Day. I understand the quarterback situation. I get it. I also need an explanation as to how you didn't score more points against Missouri. It's Missouri. Like, uh, I understand that they were pretty good this year, but it wasn't their defense that was really carrying that team, or at least getting credit for carrying that team. You're Ohio State. That see that game began to go downhill when I saw their quarterback was number thirty three. Yeah, I mean yeah, it was like Tom Tran Channel. Yeah, it was there was something just something amiss there. Score predictions on the way out. I think Tennessee wins. I do think Tennessee is going to eclipse seventy points. I don't feel you know necessarily like that's a lock or anything. So I, I would not tell you to go bet the team total over. Will Warren had them at sixty eight. Again, appreciate him for coming on statsbywill.com. Maybe high 60s, low 70s, and Tennessee wins, I'll say, by eight points tonight in Starkville. An ugly game, or at least one that they're they're hanging around. Tennessee might not get off to a good start. Bob, I think you talked about the slow start that might be coming. But yeah. I do think uh, Tennessee will hit their stride and, and pull away. Maybe a little bit like the Syracuse game that was in uh, Hawaii where you were trailing early and end up you know pulling away. I'm probably aligned with what Will said, not necessarily about the exact score. I think they do need to score more than 68 that he put out there, but not much. I mean, if he can, they can get into the 70s and be closer to their average, definitely I think they win by more than two possessions. I think that that's going to happen. Um, but it will be there will be some point in this game that will last for four to five minutes minimum where it's like, Jesus, what am I, what am I watching? Just guaranteed. It's going to happen. It's- Sam, yes or no, Vols win? Vols win. I'm going to go 73-68. Does nobody know what yes or no means? I just said yes or no. We're out of time. You said uh, score prediction. Mar- well, yeah, but then I said yes or no. We got Marcus. <laughs> we got Jake. We got Brett. They're coming up next. Stay locked in on Fan Run Radio.